Welcome to the RUF Berkeley podcast. RUF is a campus fellowship centered around experiencing and expressing the love of God to our campus, our classmates, and our community. For more information, check out our website at rufberkeley.com or find us on Instagram at rufberkeley. So let's, uh, let's get started. We're actually jumping into our series. This is the first uh, large group that we're having on uh, our series on the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, which is part of what we're calling a semester in the Psalms. We're doing covering Psalms in both large group and small groups. And uh, the reason why we're doing that, I mentioned last week, is because the Psalms are, are really kind of three things for us. One, they're a roadmap for life. Um, and we all need kind of some direction right now. Like, how do we make sense of the world right now? And knowing that this does not catch God by surprise is really comforting to me and should be to you. And the Psalms are part of God's spoken and revealed and written word to us, given to us through the hands of many psalmists, uh, King David in particular. Um, And they give us a roadmap for life. They show us the way, right? They're also a school for the human heart. So they teach broken people like me how to feel. Uh, In particular, moments like this, when it's just overwhelming what's going on in the world, the Psalms give us language when we've run out of words and they give us feelings when our hearts have grown apathetic and callous to um, to some of the trauma and tragedy that we see in the world. And then lastly, and ultimately, um, they are the hope for humanity because they point us to Jesus. Everything in the Bible is ultimately about Jesus. And uh, the Psalms are no different. They point us to Jesus. But our large group series is focused on a particular set of Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent, So what are they in particular? What makes the Psalms of Ascent unique? Well, when I was growing up, uh, I I turned 33 over the summer. Um, I'm a spry 33, but 33 nonetheless. Uh, When I was growing up, really cool people listened to um, state-of-the-art compact discs that were affectionately referred to as CDs. Many of you are familiar with this uh, cultural phenomenon that really does not exist much anymore. Um, This happens to be uh, our beloved campus staff, Morgan Kendrick, her NSYNC Home for Christmas uh, CD. Let's see if it's actually in here. Yeah, it's in here. And it broke. So there you go. Not the CD, just the case. Um, You want to borrow that? I'm sure it's free to check out at any time. Uh, Anyway, so cool people had these when I was growing up. Really cool people, I actually meant to bring this, really cool people had CD like books or or wallets or cases with like hundreds of CDs in there. I still have mine at my house from high school and college, and I meant to bring it uh, to show you guys. Um, And uh, one thing we would do with these CDs is... uh, Whenever we would go on a road trip, any kind of trip that was worthy of like a curated selection of songs, we would burn, uh, another old term you may not be familiar with, we would burn a CD with a road trip playlist, right? So a road trip playlist. Um, Many of you are familiar with the ancient art of playlisting. Uh, You can do that now on this uh, thing called Spotify, for those of you who are familiar with Spotify and other music outlets, uh, you can create playlists. And so 
wherever you're going, you have like a set of songs that are really curated and associated with that particular trip or that particular experience. Uh, The most popular playlist from my collection is Yah Heard Mixtape Volume 1 and Yah Heard Mixtape Volume 2. I really wanted to show you guys that CD. Again, I forgot them, but literally Yah Heard, um, a collection of crunk songs uh, that we enjoyed uh, when I played high school basketball and in other moments. So maybe we'll listen to that on another day. But here's the main point of that illustration and CDs and burning this. Uh, It's a a fairly common practice, right? All of us do this. We create some list of songs that accompany us on the road of life, on a trip with our roommates, Uh, whatever it may be. We have these songs that accompany us through life. And uh, the Psalms of Ascent, uh, all of the Psalms were were songs that were sung corporately, um, but the Psalms of Ascent in particular was, was like the playlist, the road trip playlist for ancient Israel. Um, they were these pilgrim songs, that songs that spoke of their current situation, songs that, that spoke of the road that lied ahead, and songs that, that spoke and gave words to the longing, to their longing for a place called home, to, to a destination that awaited them. Um, so when we begin to kind of frame the Psalms in this capacity, we can start to relate to this because if I just turned on, I, I don't know, Morgan, name a, name a cool song that people like. She's good with music. I mean, <laughs> I'm not. What's a song if we turn on right now? Everybody like, oh, it's my jam. That's my name. Okay. Well, anyways, Morgan doesn't know any songs, I guess. So there are undoubtedly songs um, that if we were to turn on, like everybody would like cheer up and be like, oh yeah, I love that song. It reminds me of this, that, and the other. That's what the songs of ascent were. They were these playlists for ancient Israelites. And this, uh, this brings our attention to really one of the main facets of the songs of ascent uh, that's, that's given to us. And that's that the Christian life is a journey. Um, The Christian life is a journey. It's a walk down a certain path. All of life is a journey, and all of your lives will be walked down a certain path or another. And the Christian life is a certain path. It is one of those paths that makes exclusive claims as to um, uh, its, uh, it, it claims supremacy over the other paths. It claims to be the the path that leads you to truth. It claims to be the path that leads you to wholeness. It claims to be the path that leads you to fullness. Um, so Psalm 120, um, Psalm 120 was the song that was on repeat as these ancient Israelites took their first steps in this long journey called the normal Christian life. And those first steps uh, are actually what we're focusing on tonight. And uh, funny enough, these these first steps, I'm calling them first steps, but um, they're actually steps that we repeat over and over and over again throughout uh, your life as a Christian. Okay, it's not like a, you do it once and then you don't have to ever do it again. These steps are something that you repeatedly do over and over again. And here's the first step. Um, the first step, the Christian life is a journey that starts by stopping. If you're a note taker, you can write that down. The Christian life is a journey 
that starts by stopping. Now, what in particular do I mean by stopping? What are you stopping? Um, I want you to notice the very first words of the psalmist here in, 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 first, in, in verse 1. He says, in my distress. Those are the very first words out of his mouth. In my distress. And these are crucial words, not just for understanding both the plight of the psalmist, uh, but even our own plight today, because the psalmist is acknowledging that everything is not okay. The first words of this psalm acknowledge that everything is not okay. And that's what I mean by stopping. When the first steps of the Christian journey are stopping, that's what I mean. <clears throat> the Christian life is a journey that begins with you stopping to believe the lie that everything is okay. The Christian life is a journey that begins with you stopping to believe that stopping to believe the lie that everything is okay. And the reason why is because as the psalmist says, everything is not okay. Everything is not okay. Verses 2 and verses 5 through 7 uh, they tell us why the psalmist is in distress. And um, in short, I'm going to read them, but in short, uh, why he's in distress is because he's surrounded by lies and he's surrounded by conflict, by those who hate peace. So in verse two, we read, the language is a little odd, but now that you know this is what he's saying, maybe it'll become clearer. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. And then flip over to five through seven. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long I've had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. When he mentions uh, Meshech and Kedar, um, those are words that don't mean anything to us, regions and places that don't really mean anything to us. But what he's doing is he's, he's just generally painting a geographical in a political and a spiritual um, image, a religious image that's meant to illustrate just how polarized and opposite his journey and his path and their path are. These paths were utterly opposite to one another. They were far apart in every way. One is seeking truth and peace, and the other is rooted in lies and conflict. Um, albeit however good they are at masquerading their agenda. So the, the reason the first step is stopping is because we, you and I, not just you, me too, even pastors, because we're so prone to believe lies, particularly the lie that everything is okay and the, 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 multi, the multiple versions of that lie. Um. Just a few examples, the, the, the fabricated history of the world, one way to interpret the history of the world is it's a, a history is a collection of us pretending to believe that human beings have the power within themselves to make progress. When in reality, all the evidence not only suggests, but proves that we are incapable of not breaking things. It proves that we're incapable of not breaking things. So the, so the fingerprints of sin are on everything we touch. That's why 
Um, that's why after however many thousands or millions or however long it is that we've been on this earth or however long the world's been around and we've been on this planet, we still can't figure out the most basic things of human decency. We still can't figure out how to treat people equally. We still can't figure out how to share. We still can't figure out how not to be greedy. We can't figure out how to be humble. We can't figure out how to put people first naturally. And everybody is guilty of this. Every single person on this call, myself included, is guilty of this. We will abandon a roommate, UC Berkeley students, woke with it Berkeley students, will abandon a roommate because they're awkward, but, we, but they'll claim that they know how to be anti-racist. And what the psalmist is saying here is, no, you don't. If, if we don't know how to even navigate the most, most meaningless conflict of awkwardness between roommates, then surely we're not any good at being anti-racist. We need a lot of help. And so the point the psalmist is making is that we won't change until we stop believing the lie that everything is okay, including ourselves, because we are not okay. And that's the cry of the psalmist, and that's, that needs to be our cry. Um, one of my favorite authors is a guy named Eugene Peterson. Some of you may be familiar with him. Uh, if you're interested in reading more about the Psalms, uh, a book that has been very influential to me, and I will reference a lot throughout this series, is a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson, and uh, it's a masterful work, uh, and it's really accessible and very poetic. Um, I think you'll like it, but listen listen to how he puts it and how he comments on, on the cry, our cry and the psalmist's cry. Rescue me from the lies of advertisers who claim to know what I need and what I desire, from the lies of entertainers who promise a cheap way to joy, from the lies of politicians who pretend to instruct me in power and morality. From the lies of psychologists who offer to shape my behavior and my morals so that I will live long, happily, and successfully. From the lies of religionists who heal the wounds of this people lightly. From the lies of moralists who pretend to promote, who pretend to promote me to the office of captain of my fate from the lies of pastors who get rid of God's commands so you won't be inconvenienced in following the religious fashions. Rescue me from the person who tells me of life and omits Christ, who is wise in the ways of the world and ignores the movement of the Spirit. The first step in the Christian life is stopping. Stopping to believe the lie that everything is okay. Because everything is not okay. Whether it's on a large scale, systematic and institutional evil, or whether it's personal patterns, individual and personal patterns of destructive behavior, we are not okay. And we need help. Well, the psalmist gives us help and it's found in the second step. So the first step, the first step is 
that the Christian life is a journey that starts by stopping. The second step is that the Christian life is a journey that turns by praying. The Christian life is a journey that turns by pray uh, by praying. Uh, the st- the psalmist uh, has stopped believing the lie that everything's okay, uh, as seen as he cries out in his distress. But he doesn't just stop and complain, right? He's not like he's he stops and then just kind of complains about everything that's going on. The psalmist then turns to God by praying to God. Now let me give you a really simple definition. Um, I don't assume that everyone on this call is a Christian. I don't assume that even if you are a Christian, that you pray a lot. Prayer is uh, hard, if we're being honest. Uh, It's hard to cultivate a life of prayer. Um, But if you've never prayed before, uh, a simple definition of prayer is that praying to God is talking to God. Um, So I'd encourage you, if you've never prayed, envision talking to your friend. Um, That's how you talk to God. Your friends, if you have good friends, um, they want to hear from you. And uh, God is a friend to to us. Um, So how much more does God want to hear from you? So whatever it is on your heart, whatever it is on your mind, if you want to start praying, just start talking to God. It may be awkward, but I would encourage you to embrace the awkwardness. Um, Now, I want to ask a simple yet profound question here, and that's simply, why does the psalmist turn to God in prayer, and I want to give us three reasons why, and then we're going to jump out into breakout groups. Um, the first reason why is because God hears us. The psalmist turns to God in prayer because he knows that God hears us. Um, this is really important for us to hear because uh, it, if, if we're honest, um, if you believe, if you do believe in Christianity, many of us, myself included at times, are so bound by guilt and shame because we still struggle with daily sin in our lives. Um, and so we think that God maybe, maybe hears us, but he only has an ear out for an apology or some sort of um, begging kind of for forgiveness. A lot of folks that are Christians deal with the uh, guilt and shame that really severs their communication with God, and that shouldn't be. Others of us on this call, maybe you don't believe in God at all, or you're so convinced that God would never listen to you because of what you've done in the past, and so you've just kind of given up altogether. And uh, the, the what the psalmist wants you to hear and what you should know is that, that no matter where you are or what you've done or even what you believe, you need to know that that voice in your head is just another one of those lies that you need to stop believing. God is always listening and God always hears us. And one of the reasons why we know this is true is because who do you think wrote the majority of the Psalms? The person who wrote the majority of the Psalms is a guy named King David. King David was this uh, really popular and famous king in Israel's history, and there may have never been a more beautiful and messed up person than King David. He was was the the good king of Israel. He was God's chosen faithful servant. He was anointed to protect God's people, and he did. 
And in many instances, he did a great job. And simultaneously, why he had this God-ordained position where he represented the people of God to God, he also cheated, he raped, he murdered, he lied, and on and on and on it went. But he wrote so many psalms, and you want to know why? It's because he knew that God hears us. No matter what he had done, good or bad, he went to God in prayer because he knew that God heard him. God hears us. So the first thing, the psalmist prays because he knows God hears us. The second thing, the psalmist prays because he knows God defends us. God defends us. Look at um, verses three through four. Um, You may not have picked up on this, but the psalmist is kind of having an inner dialogue uh, about what he's going to do with his enemies that are surrounding him and the lies that are being told and the warmongering. And uh, he has this question and response here in verses three and four. He says, what shall be given to you? What And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Uh, the language of arrows and coals is judgment language. It's justice language. It brings into view uh, God's justice. And what's important for us to realize here is that in the midst of all these lies and conflict, the psalmist does not take vengeance in his own hands, but instead he turns to God who holds justice in his hands, who is the perfect embodiment of justice. Now, this is... um, Remarkably important for us because we live in a moment, we live in a geographical region of the world that is clamoring for justice to be had, and uh, rightfully so in many cases. But what the psalmist wants you to understand is that human justice will never satisfy, never fully satisfy nor correct the harm and the pain and the injury that has been inflicted on people for centuries. And our efforts towards some sort of provisional justice, the work that we do have that's towards a more just and virtuous society, it will always be perverted if it does not acknowledge the fact that it is God alone who will make all things right. If I can be really blunt right now, This is why there's so many angry people in the world. Because deep down, we don't understand that justice ultimately is out of our hands. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not discouraging you from pursuing justice in a provisional way, in a way that helps society flourish and progress. What I am saying is that as you do that, know that you don't have within your power or any government within their power to mete out justice fully and ultimately. We need to know that God alone has the power to make all things right and will make all things right, including the injustices that we ourselves had committed, which is one of the reasons, if not the main reason why, we don't have the ability ourselves to fully satisfy justice because we're guilty. We are unjust as human beings. The third reason and final reason is because the psalmist knows God comes to us. The psalmist knows that God comes to us. 
um, Jesus was still a distant hope for the psalmist, uh, but he knew a Messiah. He didn't particularly know the name Jesus, but he had a messianic hope. Um, There was a messianic hope that a Messiah would come, but we know who that Messiah is. We know who that Savior is, and that is Jesus. So we mentioned that the Psalms always point us to Jesus, and in that way there are hope. And here's, here's how the Psalms of Ascent do that. The Psalms of Ascent were ancient Israel's way of going to God, right? It was the playlist. As they're on a pilgrimage through the steps of life, this journey that's called the Christian life, on their way to God for religious festivals held in Jerusalem, to the temple, to the Ark of the Covenant, to be in the presence of God, the Psalms of Ascent were ancient Israel's way their roadmap, their school for going to God. But in the incarnation and in uh, and through Jesus, God comes to us. The Psalms of Ascent point us ahead to another way, and that is the way of Jesus coming down to us and drawing near to us. The danger of reading this psalm Psalm 120 is simply about some sweet little Christian that's surrounded by a bunch of enemies and liars and warmongers is that you miss the bigger unfolding story and picture of scripture. And one of the key features of that story is that we are all enemies of God. We are all estranged from God and we are all wandering in a wilderness because we have believed the lies that everything is okay. And we've put our hope in empty promises. We've put our hope in empty promises that if my body looks a certain way, I'll be okay. We've put our hope in empty promises that if I get into UC Berkeley, then I'll be okay. We've put our hope in the empty promises even right now that if the pandemic goes away, then we'll be okay. We've put our hope into politicians and into political parties that if so-and-so gets elected, then we will be okay. And it's not true. It's not true. But listen to the Apostle Paul's words in Colossians 1, 21 through 22. Paul says, let me find it here. And you, Colossians 1, 21 through 22, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, enemies of God, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. The beauty of the gospel is that in Jesus, God makes his way to us. God comes to us. He hears us. He defends us. He quickens us. He makes us alive. He gives us eyes to see the path made by Jesus. He gives us ears to hear the truth that in in Jesus, everything will be made okay. And he gives us a heart to love along the way throughout the journey in peace until the day that Jesus returns. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you that you've spoken to us in these psalms, and we pray that um, even through this medium, um, we would uh, learn more of you, and we would see these psalms not only as a roadmap and as a school uh, for the human heart and for, for the Christian journey, but we would see them as pointing us uh, ultimately to Jesus who made the way for us to come to you and for you to come to us. Uh, that they would point us to Jesus who, uh, although who, he was sinless, took our sin upon himself so that we would be justified and the world would be justified in him. We pray that these Psalms would see us, help us to see uh, Jesus as more beautiful and believable than every lie that seeks to tell us that things are okay, apart from Jesus. We pray these things in his name, amen.